she reminded herself that she was wicked and depraved, and this allowed her to stomach her cruelty more easily. Krista Carmen, something borrowed, something blood-soaked. Welcome to Books in the Freezer. I'm Stephanie, and today we're going to be looking back and talking about our standout reads for the year 2019. Joining me today is the one, the only, the OG, our friend Rachel. Hi, everyone. I am so excited to be back, and that's quite the introduction. I'm kind of blushing over here, Stephanie. (laughs) I was just telling you before we started recording that I feel a little bit rusty. I was rushing around and trying to remember everything. And I was like, oh, yeah, I think I need a microphone to record. So we somehow made it to actually recording this. So this is happening. I am yeah, more than excited to be back. And I couldn't think of a better episode because if you know me, I love to gush about all my favorites. So we're probably going to have a lot of books that are going to end up on everyone's TBRs. I am so excited. I could not think of another person I would want to do a year-end episode with. Oh, exactly. And it's kind of fitting. I mean, we did that episode that ended up being that fireside chat, which was kind of a mid-year check-in talking about our reading so far this year and just kind of what we both had been up to. But as sad as it sounds, we haven't actually had a reason to talk horror books outside of the podcast since then. So some of these books I actually don't necessarily know which books are going to fall into which categories for you. I purposely didn't really look too closely at the notes that you put in this document when we were preparing the episode. We always kind of have, you know, list out our favorites, but I kind of just wanted to like literally just make this episode a chance to chat books with you. And I'm just kind of excited to catch up and see what you've been up to. Because when I was on the podcast, we were constantly saying, I'm reading this, you're reading that. And we just kind of got to go in our own way and like, you know, read in different directions. Of course, I was still listening to the podcast every week and like attempting to talk to you and Devin while I was listening to it. But, you know, you guys couldn't hear me in my a room when I was <laughs> yelling at my phone saying, oh, don't forget about this book. This is also sci-fi horror. I do that with so many podcasts. Okay, I was just thinking, don't leave me hanging. Tell me I'm not the only one who does that. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, I am so excited to talk about our favorites. And it was funny because I was looking back at our fireside chat because that was mid-year. We recorded that around June. And I was trying to make sure I had read other stuff since then I didn't want it to just be the same titles that I mentioned I'm glad you said that the fireside yes I had that worry too because I read a lot of phenomenal books at the beginning of the year and I was so paranoid that everyone is going to say we know all this already you've been gone for a year Rachel and apparently you've only read these certain books so I was worried about that thankfully the end of the year ended up being just great for finding some new favorites i think there's something about that fall season where all the horror books all come out at once so i had a couple months where it was like five stars five stars five stars so um i'm excited that i was able to round out hopefully my picks so everyone won't be rolling their eyes too much there are a few books that you probably heard from me before but i have reasons they're wonderful and i'm just i need to push them on more people (laughs) 
I was, yeah, I was looking through my Goodreads and it goes through seasons. Like I would have four or five star reads in a row and then like 10 three star reads. Yeah. And that always brings up the age old reader question of whether or not it's our mood or if the books are just not as good. And I think it's a bit of both, but yeah, yeah. like I think June, there was one month of the year where I think I read like six five-star reads in that month and I'm very picky when it comes to giving out a lot of like five stars and I was just like okay now I'm just giving them away but I look back and I'm like no all of these books were solid there's reasons I'm still gushing about them I do that too when I give too many five-star reads because I am also fairly stingy (laughs) it's like when you're taking a test and there's five answers that are b you just start second guessing everything you're like is it am I just being because it one of those things where it's just my mood and I you know you look back and you're like no I stand by that that's a five-star read exactly it's like no like you know you hold hold on to that for sure I guess overall um how did this reading year go we kind of again talked mid-year but you got pregnant and I know from experience <laughs> that that does terrible and wonderful things to one's reading life as you got to experience uh when I was going through the pregnancy so did that end up affecting how or what you were reading? Probably like if I was reading at all, which for three months, so my whole first trimester was nothing. Like I would read maybe three books a month that I was like forcing myself to read. But I, and I was so worried. I'm like, have I lost it? Have I lost my love for reading? But then the second trimester came and I was right back into reading and I was so relieved. <laughs> That it was only a temporary season of my life. Yeah, I think that that's normal. That's why I asked is I went through that period where I think the only things I was reading were the books that I had to finish for the podcast episodes. And I was just like, this is the end of it. I become one of those women who get pregnant and just stop caring about anything else. And then I was like, no, no, I'm back. So... Um, you know, I was very proud that like, you know, the day after I gave birth, I was like sitting in like the hospital bed reading a horror book. So I was like, okay, I still got this. On brand, yeah. on brand. People would be proud. Was there any trends and like things you tried out this year that you hadn't tried out before and discovered you enjoyed or anything like that? Yeah. And I'll try not to be repetitive because we kind of talked about this on the fireside chat, but I really thought this would be the year where my brain would go to mush and I just want to read the lightest, fluffiest, dumbest books I could find. And I feel like I almost made a brand for myself on the podcast of reading those quote unquote fun horror books, those slashers that are kind of goofy, like the ones that it was kind of hard to get through the synopsis without like having someone roll their eyes. But I love those books and I still do. Don't get me wrong. Like I love a fun, cheesy book that almost reads like a B horror movie. But at the same time, like I really got into books that were challenging me. And so I talked about really liking a lot more literary horror than I ever thought I would like. And I don't know, I was just channeling my inner Stephanie or something. But maybe it's because (laughs) I was spending my days like bottle feeding and all of this very low brain functioning activities that I just found myself wanting to be like mentally stimulated, I guess. But I yeah, ended up enjoying a lot of books like The Fisherman and just so many books that were just never on my radar before. Books that I would read the synopsis and go, oh, that sounds boring. And then ended up loving them this year and adding them back to my TBR list. So it's been an interesting year for sure. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah, I was going to say The Fisherman is not one I would have recommended for you. Yeah, I remember. Pre this phase. Exactly. I think you had read it and I remember you telling me about it and I was like, yeah, I'm not going to read that. And now I love that book. I want to mention it because it's not technically on this favorites list, but, you know, a solid four stars for me. I thought it was fantastic. I guess for you, did you find that you got into any particular genres yourself? Um, Well, as I mentioned in the fireside chat, I did give some 
kind of urban fantasy a little more of a try. Yeah, with the Sean and McGuire um, Wayward Children series books and the Christina Henry uh, fairy tale retellings, which you know, like was not was a thing I specifically said I did not like. I'm like, I'm just not into fairy tales or fairy tale retelling. But with a dark twist, they are interesting. Like I'm, I'm into it. I see it now. And a little more young adult. And I actually, if we get into like what we want to do next year, I do want to read more young adult next year. I'm good with that. There's so many good ones out there. I really feel like a couple years ago, I kind of sold young adult horror short. And I mean, we talked about, we did that episode with Cameron Chaney. And since then, oh, like I've just started finding some really good gems. So I'm excited that you're trying out more because I definitely have a good recommendation in this episode that I think you would really like. So we'll get to that one. Mm. Uh, For myself, obviously, literary horror. I want to read more of that. Uh, The other one I want to read more is science fiction horror. I've talked about before that science fiction is kind of my other genre. When I'm cheating on horror, I'm usually reading sci-fi. And you guys did that awesome episode on science fiction horror. And I've read a lot of the ones that you already recommended, but I want to read even more than that. The two genres just blend really well together, as you discussed already, so I don't want to repeat myself. That was one of those episodes where I was definitely talking to my phone a lot, trying to like chime in (laughs) while you guys were talking about it. But it just makes sense. Like you take my two favorite genres, you put them together, I'm going to love them. And I've loved basically every science fiction horror book I've read, so I just need more. I found that they're a little hard to find. Yeah, well, maybe let's turn it to our listeners. So if anyone wants to tweet at us and recommend me some more science fiction horror books because I cannot get enough. And I agree, they're kind of hard to find, even though everyone talks about them like they should be everywhere. Because like there's so many classic science fiction horror movies. So where are the books? Help me out, guys. And this next year, I mean, this is something I do pretty regularly anyway, but I just want to DNF freely. I'm going to be dealing with a newborn and I just see no reason of making myself push through things that I do not enjoy. I know there's those people out there that are either completists and they have to finish what they start or reading a bad book doesn't mess with their reading mojo. I'm not like that. If I have to like force myself to read a book, it ruins my reading for weeks. So I'm just not going to force myself to finish things I don't like. I fully endorse that. I am a huge DNFer. And I do think it really does help people to avoid reading slumps. That's always a discussion that comes up online is like, oh, how to avoid reading slumps. And you know what? When I force myself to read books I'm not enjoying, I don't feel like reading anymore. So I encourage people to put down a book. Even if there's nothing wrong with the book, I'm a big fan of the blanket statement saying, you know, the book's just not for me or not for me right now. And moving on to something I'm actually enjoying does amazing things to keep me enjoying Mm -hmm. reading. Go figure. Um, And that actually works well with my other resolution is to go for quality over quantity. And that's because I read a ton this year. It's ironic on my YouTube channel. I put out a resolutions video last year saying that I was going to have a baby and my reading was going to slow down and I was only going to read 40 books in the next year. Well, I have read over 225 books. We're recording this slightly before the end of the year, so it's going to be even higher. And that's <laughs> ridiculous. It's the most books I've yeah. ever read. So it's twice as many as I read this year. <laughs> it's embarrassing. I swear I take care of my child. But I have a lot of reading time and that is going to change. It is going to slow down. And I was talking with another friend that it's a little bit sad that despite reading that much, you would think that I would have like 50 five-star reads or 
a ridiculous amount of favorites. And there were still just a handful of books that really stood out to me. And there were so many books I finished just because they were available through my library. I had them in my hands. And I just really want to make sure that I'm mindful of actually picking up books that I'm going to love. Because if I am Mm -hmm. hopefully, probably actually reading less next year, I just don't want to waste time on like three-star books. If anything, like three-star books are my least favorite because they're not so terrible that you get to enjoy having really ranty discussions about them with people online, but they're just very forgettable. And they're typically books that I wouldn't overly recommend to other people, at least based off my reading experience. Yeah, I agree with the the sadness of the three-star read. (laughs) But they're like one of those things where... I have them and I'm like, oh, for a certain kind of reader, this is a book that is going to hit the spot. But for me, it was just, it was just meh. And that's fine. Yeah, I think there's just a lot of pressure we put on ourselves to read certain books. Like, listeners, I am here to tell you, you don't have to read a certain kind of book to be a horror reader. If you started reading The Exorcist and did not like it, that's fine. You don't have to finish it to be, to get the like horror reader stamp. You don't have to finish House of Leaves if you don't like it. It's fine. I'm telling you, it's fine. If you've tried reading books that Rachel and I have both said are good and they're not for you, again, totally fine. We are all different. We all like different things and you're allowed that. But I will judge you. No, I'm kidding. I completely agree with Stephanie. (laughs) (laughs) I am not one of those icky horror gatekeepers. No way. And I also want to expand more of the books I read next year to include A love that I've kind of put aside, which was like my love for dark thrillers, because a lot of them do incorporate a lot of horror elements. And I think it's really easy to get boxed into like what fits into this genre. Like, does it have, you know, a a moment of dread or like a supernatural force? And it's kind of easy to put things aside that don't fall into that box. So I'm definitely looking to like open it up to more things that might not necessarily you wouldn't think would fall into the horror genre, but I think still could, you know, be fridge or freezer worthy. Oh, I fully endorse this as well. I'm just endorsing everything you're saying today. But yeah, there's something about like dark thrillers that honestly can be scarier than some of the books that I've read that are technically labeled as horror. So I think that a lot of those horror adjacent books can definitely still be read and loved by the listeners. So I think there's definitely room to expand the definition of horror because I don't know, there's always this like argument about what counts as horror and what doesn't. And more and more as I read, I find that that definition just needs to get broader because so much is horror and just because it fits other labels like science fiction or thriller doesn't mean that it doesn't still have those elements that could easily put it into the horror genre label or, you know, this podcast. I'm all here for that. I mean, to let listeners know, I did leave Rachel like a two minute voice message on my thoughts on Gone Girl just randomly, (laughs) even though Rachel and I have both read Gone Girl like years ago. (laughs) So it's something we still think about. Exactly. Right. You ready to get started and talk about some of the books we loved this year? Absolutely. I am excited to get into this. Let's get started. So as per usual, this is our third year-end favorites episode. We break it up into different categories, much like the Oscars. I would say the same amount of prestige, wouldn't you? Oh, absolutely. I'm wearing a ball game as we're recording this. I am too. I spent three hours getting my hair done and my makeup done. (laughs) This is an event. Oh, absolutely. I'm decked out. Thank goodness we don't have video recording on right now. (laughs) So the first category is a favorite short story collection. And the nominees are... I'm just kidding. (laughs) 
I think we just lost three listeners right there. (laughs) So my favorite this year was an indie book. That is Something Borrowed, Something Blood Soaked by Krista Carmen. And I just really loved this book. I will say, go check out the cover. I, I feel like I talked about her on an episode. I don't remember which one, if I did. I just absolutely love the cover, but my love for it does not end there. I would say the first story, Red Room, really creeped me out. I think for some reason, stories that have to do with people getting taunted via cell phone, for some reason, really give me the creeps. I don't know if it's just the time we are living in now. It is like a harassment that feels so personal and scary. Uh, But I just find it really effective. And I loved the titular um, short story, something borrowed, something blood soaked. And there was a story I really liked called Lady of the Flies, which incorporates it's a kind of so the cover I think is kind of a mix of something borrowed, something blood soaked, and Lady of the Flies. And I just very much enjoyed it. She also has it's just such a range of emotion. There's some stories that I found truly unsettling and some stories that I think were a little more fun and campy. Like there was a story called The Girl Who Loved Bruce Campbell that's kind of like a zombie survival story. And it was just a ton of fun and I thought showed a really great range. I think she's a great writer. Now it's my favorite short story collection of 2019. And can I just say that that cover is phenomenal. I adore it. Uh, it's one of these shames with the podcast that we can't show it to our listeners. So yeah. take a moment and go look it up online. It is just probably one of my favorite horror covers, period. I think it's beautiful in a creepy, creepy way. And for myself, my favorite short story collection was Cry Your Way Home by Damien Angelica Walters, which I feel like I mentioned on our fireside chat and I snuck it into that episode you did on fairy tale horror. So I'm going to try not to be repetitive here, (laughs) but I really, really liked it. This was my first time reading anything by Damien Angelica Walters, and I just fell in love with her prose and have gone on to read more of her work and love that as well. And this whole short story collection is like dark fairy tale retellings, but they're not straight up retellings, which I appreciate. I said before that I'm not a big fan of, oh, this is Snow White and this is Beauty and the Beast. But instead, she kind of takes those classic fairy tale ideas of like the stepmother or the monster. And you're familiar with the tropes, but then she twists them and goes somewhere else. And I love that her work is like fiercely, fiercely feminine. And while I've gushed about short story collections on the podcast before, I have to be honest that I do struggle to find collections where I love every story. But this collection, wow, like I liked or loved every single story in the collection. When I go back and reread this, because I will reread this collection for sure, I'm not going to skip in a single one. And I don't say that a lot of times, but every short story added something and I just loved it. Like I said, I think if you love really feminine stories, if you like that touch of the fantastical and just twisted and her writing is just so incredibly good. I just cannot gush about this collection enough. Highly recommend it. Easily my favorite short story collection of the year. So again, that is called Cry Your Way Home by Damien Angelica Walters. I know I've talked about it before, but again, if I'm talking about it again, it's because it is that good and I need more people to read it. You can talk about it all you want. Okay, good. I'll I'll (laughs) keep going. We don't need to get Uh, to the other books, right? No, just we can dedicate 30 minutes just to this. Okay, perfect. (laughs) Uh, I still need to read this, but I did read 
her new book. You did too, right? Dead Girls yes. Club. I really I enjoyed that. Yeah. I did too. I love how you spoiled the ending for me. <laughs> I'm so sorry. <laughs> so I messaged yeah. her and Explain. said, hey, I'm reading this book. What do you think about it? But I didn't specifically said, I'm reading this book, but I'm not done. And so you messaged me back saying, well, I liked it. it and this, this, and this about the ending. And I was like, <laughs> I haven't finished yet. <laughs> I will give props that it's not the kind of book that is dependent on the ending to make the book good. I thought that the book completely held up, even knowing where it was going. It just completely still worked. So you didn't ruin the book for me. I still very much enjoyed it. But I thought that was hilarious because you've never, ever done that to me before. (laughs) And it was just hilarious when I read that message. I was like, "Uh oh. Oh, man. It was just, I think the way you worded it, I was like, oh, so she's done and she wants to know what I think of it. Um, yeah. But you said you like turned off the message when I started to talk about the ending. So you didn't hear like everything I spoiled. Yeah, there was only a piece of it that I caught. And like I said, with the way that book is written, it actually wasn't that much of a spoiler. But it was just funny because I knew you wouldn't have even said that much had you known. But the way I worded it, I looked back at my message. I was like, oh, yeah, that was confusing. No wonder you thought it was done. <laughs> So all good. I'm not <laughs> not mad at all. It's hilarious. We also extended these questions to our listeners to see what books they enjoyed this year. And the listener pick for a short story collection was Dead of Winter by Keelan Patrick Burke. That one I haven't read, but I've heard great things. He does a lot of seasonal collections. And obviously that one's kind of his winter themed one, which I'm definitely interested in because as we've discussed before, because we've talked about horror a lot, you know, I like wintry slash Christmassy horror, which I think is what that collection is all about. So Mm -hmm. very interested in checking that one out soon. Yeah. I also like the cover. I mean, I know Keelan Patrick Burke like has a whole thing designing his covers. He does such a great job. Yes. Oh, he's so talented. Moving on to favorite anthology. So a short story collection is like a single author collection and an anthology is multiple authors submitting and it's usually like a themed anthology, though not always. Um, So my pick is from our folk horror episode and it is The Fiends in the Furrows, an anthology of folk horror. And I really enjoyed this because folk horror just seems like such a narrow thing of what that could be. And it was so great to have all these stories that kind of expanded on that while still incorporating all of these specific themes. Um, And so some of my favorite stories were Lindsay King Miller's The Fruit, which is about um, this couple that lives in this village where like everyone has to pick fruit from these trees and there's all these like rules they have to follow and, and go by these rituals. And it's just very sinister and it definitely takes a turn um the next one was eric j guinard's the first order of whaleyville's divine basilisk handlers (laughs) yeah so that one gets into (laughs) the first order yeah um and so that one gets into a little more of like the religious side of it which is definitely a big part of folk horror and stephanie ellis's the way of the mother and Uh, I just can't recommend enough. I've had a lot of people when I put out the questionnaire of, you know, what kind of stories you enjoy. A lot of people said they liked folk horror. And if you fall into that category, I would say definitely check this out. So that is The Fiends in the Furrows, an anthology of folk horror. Now, my favorite anthology was Fright into Flight, edited by Amber Fallen. And a lot of you might know the backstory on this. I think Stephanie probably recommended this at one point on the podcast. 
but this collection was put together in response to a collection that was edited by Stephen King and there was a lot of drama when that one came out because despite being put out I want to say in like 2017 or 18 it was put out entirely by male authors and I just cannot believe that that actually happened. So in response to that, Amber Fallon decided to put together a collection with a very similar name, but include only female authors in the collection. And based off the name, you probably can guess that the collection is based around the idea of flight or flying, but a lot of the stories kind of take more of a literary approach to that. So it isn't just people sitting at airports the whole time. There actually are some stories that are more set around flying in traditional ways, but not all the stories go that direct. And I just love this collection. It had so many of my favorites. One that I read was the one of the stories in there was The Floating Girls, a documentary by Damien Angelica Walters. Oops, I just had to mention her again. I'm like, that it was short- a good one. You're good. It was. <laughs> it was also in the short story collection I mentioned above, but I was more than happy to read it again. And that one is like this story that basically reads like a documentary. And it was just eerie with these girls that are literally floating into the air. And I also read a story called And When She Was Bad by Nadia Balkan. And I adore her as an author. I don't think I ever got a chance to recommend her on the podcast, but she has her own anthology, She Said Destroyed, which is fantastic. And this short story collection included one of those in here. And this one is all about a girl who essentially is that final girl. The story takes place after the massacre and is about what that girl does next. And it is so well done. And the other short story that really stood out to me was The Fallen by Pamela Jeffs. And I'm so glad that I found her because while some of these stories are horror, The Fallen is actually more science fiction. And I ended up gushing about that short story collection online. And I got the opportunity afterwards to read Pamela Jeffs' other short story collections that she put together herself, The Red Hour, and then Saloons and Stardust. And they were just brilliant. They're more science fiction, but if you're like me and kind of like that crossover between science sci-fi and horror, then I definitely recommend looking further into Pamela Jeffs. But I just love that collection because it really helped me to not only have a chance to revisit some of my favorite female horror authors, but also find new ones. And I just cannot recommend that one enough. So again, that is called Fright into Flight, which is edited by Amber Fallen. Yeah, I also really enjoyed that one. And those stories are all A+, like chef's kiss. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, we had quite a few listener picks for anthologies, and the first one was Hex Life, which I know you have a copy of and is on my TBR for next year, for sure. This is what I have been eyeing. It's so good. The cover is gorgeous, and the first story in the collection is done by Kate Howard, and it's the witchy creepiness that I'm always looking for, because my complaint with witch short stories is that they typically fall more to the side of urban, but that first short story is all horror, and I loved it so much. It's so good to hear. Yeah, witches are so hard to do within horror. Not hard to do, but I find that it's hard to find them in literature because I feel like, yeah, they're either urban fantasy or they're like cozy. Yes. <laughs> like all those cozy mysteries that are like witchy, Yeah, which like picking... I'm here for. Listen, if you're in a mood for that, like that's a good niche to be in. Exactly. <laughs> Someone else said Haunted Nights, which hard agree. Absolutely love that. That's the Halloween themed one uh, that Ellen Datlow did and more deadly than male. And that was the historical one looking at 
um, I think female authors from the 19th century that you wouldn't think of like Louisa May Alcott and um, horror stories that they wrote and submitted. So it's like a collection of those older stories. So yeah, that is favorite anthology. Moving on to our favorite 2019 release, because Rachel and I read a lot of backlist. Yes. <laughs> I was looking through, I really did. I always say like every year that I'm going to read more new releases and it just like never happens. <laughs> I actually did pretty well this year, more than usual in reading a lot of 2019 releases. But yeah, it was hard to pick out my favorites. So I cheated and picked more than one for this category. I did too, just so you wouldn't feel bad. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> it is hard to narrow it down. Um, so my first pick is The Dark Game by Jonathan Jans. And this was such a fun premise. This is about a writer's retreat where you have these, I think it's 10 authors who get the opportunity to be under the tutelage of this famous author. And, you know, they're all there to work on their novel and get advice from this very famous author. And they're all competing for a publishing contract with him. And competition starts to get ugly and people start disappearing. And maybe there's some sinister forces at work? Question mark. (laughs) I just really liked this. I liked the supernatural element in this. And I think if you're someone like me who enjoys story within a story narratives this was great because you kind of get to see everyone's work in progress and I think he did a great job of writing in all of these different styles so it was believable that you're talking about 10 different people's novels and they don't all just sound like they're coming from the same person Um, so it was really interesting to get all of that and get into all of these characters and what happens to them and what it is that's going on Um, so that was The Dark Game by Jonathan Jans. I don't think I ever heard the synopsis for that. That sounds amazing. (laughs) This is what I'm talking about, that like while we've chatted throughout the year, you should have yelled at me to read this book because I was just (laughs) saying how I read a lot of 2019 releases, but I think this one completely missed me and it sounds so good. I love books like this that are kind of about authors within a situation and I don't know, that sounds ridiculously fun. And yeah, I'm going to have to check that one out and like, honestly get that one onto my reading list very soon well my next pick is as good as gone by cooper s beckett um and this is about it's one of my favorite tropes rachel is the alcoholic pi (laughs) (laughs) i do i don't know why i have a soft spot i you'll see it again in this list i have a soft spot for like a private investigator who's like gruff because they've been through some things noted (laughs) We follow Prudence Osgood, who had a car accident nearly 20 years ago when her paranormal investigation show got canceled, and it ended her friendship with her close friend, Aubrey. So nowadays, she copes by sometimes doing a paranormal investigation podcast, getting blackout drunk, picking up women at the bar downstairs, and, you know, sometimes investigating things. She gets an email that gets her involved with a long-lost mystery that has her confronting her car accident and brings her back in contact with Aubrey. I really liked the way that this mystery played out. And like you were saying that you like when sci-fi and horror get together. I like when mystery and horror get together. And what I loved about this is that the first part is definitely a mystery. You know, it's, you know, let's look at this email. Let's find some clues. Let's chase down this lead. Here's what we found out. Here's the next clue. And I'm all about that. And then the second half is where the horror comes in. 
And I thought the blending of the two was just done so well. And Prudence is such a great character. She's rough around the edges. She's unlikable at times. She's flawed, but you're rooting for her all the time. And I don't know. I just really enjoyed this. This is the start of a series. And I am definitely looking forward to picking up the next one because we got left hanging at the end of this one. So I will be looking forward to picking up the next book in the series. Uh, so that was As Good As Gone by Cooper S. Beckett. That sounds great. I definitely want to read more queer horror. That's another one I'd like to get more into in the next year because I just cannot get enough of them. I've loved basically every queer horror book I've read since we did that episode way back with Chelsea. So I might need mm-hmm. to add that one to my list as well. This is not good for the Goodreads TBR. You're doing terrible <laughs> things to my reading plans. We're going for not as much quantity next year and that might not happen. But if it's quality, it still fits your resolution. Oh, darn you and your logic. <laughs> All right. So for myself, my first pick for 2019 release is Imaginary Friend by Stephen Chbosky, who, of course, is the author who wrote The Perks of Being a Wallflower. I have not read the book, but I did watch the movie, so I know the general synopsis. I got to say, this book definitely was one of the big, buzzy horror books of the fall, but it wasn't completely on my radar because while I enjoyed the movie, I, again, never read the book, so I wasn't as crazy excited that he was coming out with this new book, and I didn't really know what to think about this because while Perks of Being a Wallflower is like a young adult coming-of-age contemporary this was supposed to be adult horror and I just didn't really know where it was going to land for the synopsis this follows a mother named Kate who escapes from an abusive relationship and takes her young son Christopher to a new town for a fresh start Kate is struggling to make ends meet while Christopher is struggling in school however one day Christopher goes missing and he shows up again six days later with no memory of what happened but something about him has changed his Oh, words. Irony. His dyslexia is gone and he hears the voice of an imaginary friend that is telling him to do certain things. Now, I want to start by saying, no, don't worry. I didn't give away too much of the plot. That is all on the back cover and that is all set up. This book is really long. Most copies of this book are going to be over 700 pages. And that all takes place in the first couple chapters. And it's very much a story where the story continues from there. And that is just the most basic setup. I struggled to talk about this book for so many reasons. This is a book that I loved, but it wasn't quite perfect. So let me start with what I loved about it so much was the fact that this book almost reads like a puzzle. And I'm a sucker for these kind of books because you're seeing things on the page, certain words and repetition of numbers, and you just can tell that things are building throughout the book. The story actually follows multiple perspectives and over time you start to see how they're all connected and that's what I love so much about the story is that you get to see all these puzzle pieces slowly coming together and while I was reading the first say 500 pages of this book I was just in love with it I was obsessed if you've ever had that experience where all you want to do is read you don't want to cook you don't want to clean you don't want to see your family or anything else I was at that point where I was just unable to do anything but read I literally had to tell my husband go take care of our child because I need to know what happens next and this book just like I said brings together all these puzzle pieces and there are parts in this book 
where hundreds of pages after there is this little tiny description of something mentioned, suddenly it'll become so important and you're yelling at the page saying, oh my gosh, that's why they mentioned this little fact, this little tidbit earlier on is that it's suddenly so important to the bigger plot. And so it's a book I can't say too much about without spoiling, but that's the kind of book that it is. But I do need to preface that I didn't think the ending quite landed. It's a very controversial book online. It's a book that people are either loving or hating, if I'm honest, and I totally see both sides of the picture. So I adored all of this book, but the ending is messy. And it just comes to the fact that this is epic horror. And I think epic horror is a really hard genre to do because you're trying to build all of these layers and make such an epic story. So bringing together so many threads and so many characters into a perfect cohesive ending is really hard to do. So I'll preface by saying that I didn't think this book was perfect, perfect, but what is a perfect book, um, but one that leaves you with a huge book hangover. And that's what this book did. I was obsessed with it afterwards. I still think about it to this day. And so I couldn't help but put it on my favorites list because I just love the experience of reading it. And I think that other readers that have similar tastes to my own will just fall in love with this one. It definitely has a Stephen King feel to it or a Joe Hill feel. And oh, like it's so hard to talk about, but I just love this book. In terms of creepiness, I probably put it at least in the fridge because it definitely had some creepier moments. It's definitely supernatural in terms of subgenre. And I just love the places it went to. It was so smart, so well written. And yeah, I'm thoroughly impressed. It was a book that I went into with very average expectations. I didn't really know what to expect and it just blew my mind out of the water. And now I just want to read more epic horror because I finally understand why people love long horror books so much because while it was over 700 pages, I could not get enough. So in case you missed it, that is Imaginary Friend by Stephen Chbosky. Wow, that is quite a push for it because I have been putting it off because it is 700 pages. Yeah, I flew through in a couple days. I have not read a book that fast in quite a while. Wow. I just was obsessed. So yeah, I'm I'm biased. I mean, it's not my favorites for a reason, but I really like that one. Okay, I might have to give it a chance now. And my second pick is 12 Nights at Rotter House by J.W. Oker. And this is a story that is written by a paranormal travel writer. And the story is about a paranormal travel writer. So I first off love the fact that it has that meta aspect to it. But basically it's about this man who decides to write a book about spending a night in a supposedly haunted house. And he decides to spend 13 nights in this house called Rotter's House. However, from the title of the book, you notice that it's only called 12 Nights, which leads you to believe that he might not last until the end of his planned stay. And I love this book for so many reasons. Again, I love the fact that it's very self-aware horror. It's something that I really enjoy. I think this one will appeal to people who like Kill Creek by Scott Thomas because it's another one where the person in the book is very much aware of the tropes of the genre. And I also love the fact that the main character is a skeptic. And so he doesn't really believe that the house is haunted, but he wants to go through the house and have that experience. 
So because he doesn't believe, he decides to invite his friend along who does believe in ghosts. However, him and his friend had some kind of falling out. They used to be best friends, but you know that something happened and their relationship soured. So I always think of you, Stephanie, when I read a book like this because you are such a big fan of a group of people where their relationships are already kind of crumbling and that is very much this book. So I think you'll like that piece for sure if you do pick this one up. Another thing that I love so much about it is the fact that you basically have someone, again, who knows the tropes of the haunted house story. And so they play it out. He goes into the house and purposely lets his cell phone die. They play with a Ouija board. They walk around in the dark. And it's just so funny. It's very pop culture heavy so they're constantly dropping references to pop culture books and movies that are all about haunted houses and I thought it was hilarious it was so much fun and this was another book that really left me with a book hangover I just thought it was really funny I did guess where the ending was going but it's the kind of book that even knowing where it was going and the fact that it didn't surprise me did not stop me from enjoying this book and I feel like it's one I'm going to reread which isn't actually something I say a lot about haunted house or horror books in general but this one I think would just be so much fun to go back and revisit again so I could see this one being almost like a Halloween read for me so that again is 12 Nights at Rotter House by J.W. Oker I have a copy of this and I've been meaning to get to it but if you want to reread it there is an audiobook on Hoopla oh I didn't know that I would definitely check that one out I think it would be a really good audiobook like given the tone of the book because that's one thing I forgot to say is it's really funny like even the first chapter of the book like I don't know it's it's funny but it's also creepy at the same time it balances the two and I find that comes across really well in like an audiobook performance so I think I'll do that so here's what our readers had to say uh for books that came out in 2019 we had a lot of people mention the institute by Stephen King Lock Every Door by Riley Sager, The Ninth House by Lee Bardugo, and Cosmology of Monsters by Sean Hamill. That's so. a good list there. Yeah. I love Lock Every Door. Uh, I did That too. one easily could have been on the list, but I was like, oh, is it too much of a horror thriller? Again, you know, when people are deciding whether or not something counts as horror, but 100%, I love that book. And The Institute, like that's more sci-fi thriller to me, but I loved it as well. It was probably one of my favorite Stephen King books. I think it would have been interesting if your Stephen King episode had come out a little bit later, if that book would have made an appearance on the list, just because a lot of people ranked it pretty high among their favorites, which surprised me. So it would have been interesting if it had like shooken up the boat. But I think most of the votes were in by the time that that book got released. Yeah, I wonder because, yeah, um, I mean, on my Instagram, I follow purely bookish accounts and, you know, weeks or a week or two after that book came out, it was all everyone was reading it and I saw nothing but high ratings. Yeah, no, it's really well done. Um, I've recently added it to my gigantic Stephen King TBR. Yeah, mine got pretty long after that two-part Stephen King episode. So thanks for that. (laughs) Sorry, not sorry. Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) Moving on to the next topic, we are talking about novellas. So these are books that I'm going to say fall under the 200 page mark-ish. You know, it's flexible, but kind of around that page count. So the first book I want to talk about is Rites of Extinction by Matt Serafini. And I saw you did an unboxing with this or that you hauled it. Have you read it yet? No, but okay. it's been on my TBR ever since I saw your five-star rating on Goodreads, which is an instant reason for me to add a book <laughs> to my own list when I see that online. 
Not yet. I really enjoyed it. This is, of course, where we see the return of the alcoholic PI character. Uh-huh. <laughs> Stephanie's favorite man. Or woman. Woman. They've both been women. Oh, there you go. Case. <laughs> Good for them. Gender equality. Yeah. yeah. The other one I really like that does an alcoholic PI is the the J.K. Rowling, like Robert Galbraith series. It's just one of those tropes. I don't know why I like it. I think I just have, I like characters that have baggage oh. and following people like that around. So this is a woman uh, who is a private investigator and her daughter was murdered by her boyfriend and the boyfriend is still at large. And so she goes to the small town where she, she got a tip that that was the last place he was seen. And so she is going there to investigate and she gets pulled into some folk horror shenanigans. I don't want to say more because it is such a short book, but I just thought this was very well done. Uh, There's a, a thing that goes on where the main character is dealing with some flashbacks and some issues and having like what seems like a breakdown almost. She can't like look in mirrors. She starts seeing things that aren't there. And I thought the way that that ties into everything in the story was so well done. Like I was very impressed with it. It was very well written. And I mean, it was a short story. It was a short book, but I could not put it down. (laughs) This was one where I was like neglecting my real life things because I'm like, shh, I have to know what happens. (laughs) One other pick I did for this, I did want to say, Rachel, I finally picked up Come Closer and I loved it. That makes me so happy. (laughs) (laughs) It's always something that's a little bit nerve wracking when you're recommending a book and loving it so much. And you're like, I hope other people see it the same way I do. But it was it was as good as I said, hopefully. I mean, yes. it's on the list, so I, yeah. I assume. Yeah, so for readers who don't know, this is the story about a woman who may or may not be possessed and you're dealing with, you know, is she or isn't she possessed through the eyes of this unreliable narrator? And it's just such a tense story that, you know, is kept within this like tight narrative and it's just done very well. Very impressive. I'm so glad. My pick is one I'm sure I've talked about before, and that is Stirring the Sheets by Chad Lutsky, which is about a mortician who finds a dead woman in his shop that happens to look a lot like his deceased wife. And so he decides to bring her home with him and basically spends time. He paints her nails. He dresses her up. And it's such an unusual book to talk about and hard to pitch to people. I want to start by saying that this book is not about necrophilia. But it definitely is a unique one. It's one of those horror books that people will read. And depending on how strictly they feel about horror and genre definitions, might say that this book is more dark contemporary than true horror because it is very room temperature. But oh my goodness, this book hit me in the emotional fields that I did not know that I had. And it's basically just this beautiful story about love and grief and I just sucked up every little word. This book is the reason that Chad Lutsky has earned a place as one of my new favorite authors. I've read more of his books by now, and he's just consistently just a good writer who writes these beautiful, well-rounded characters. And again, it's a hard book to recommend based off of that synopsis because it sounds weird, but I honestly would recommend it just about anyone, including people who don't normally read horror because it's just a really good story about love, but it's horror-ish. So that again is Stirring the Sheets by Chad Lutsky. 
Oh, I really enjoyed that one too. I think one thing he does well is just hitting you in the gut and you feeling emotion. <laughs> yes, I completely agree with that. I told you I cried during this one. <laughs> I did not know that. I forgot. <laughs> you told me. Uh, I, I would have cried if I wasn't a robot and had a, a real emotions. <laughs> I'm the opposite. Like everything makes me cry. So we asked our readers and you guys said for favorite novella, Gwendy's Button Box by Richard Chismar, Husk by Rachel Autumn Deering, and this person said it was actually just their favorite overall of the year, so high praise. Sour Candy by Keelan Patrick Burke, Jack and Jill by Keelan Patrick Burke, The Pale White by Chad Letsky, I Call Upon Thee by Anya Alborn, and someone else came and gave a vote for Come Closer. That is a really good list. I've heard great things about the ones I haven't read yet, and you already know I love Chad Letsky, and yeah, that Sour Candy, I'm always happy when that one shows up on someone's list, because you know I love that one. I'm pretty sure it was my pick last year or the year before. The years start to blend together. Oh, I know how it is. Um, I love I Call Upon Thee, and yeah, The Pale White is on my TBR. I know you recently read it, right? Well, it just came out, so you had to have recently read it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and that one is another one where... It's a difficult read. It deals with a lot of adult troubling subject matter, but so good. And yeah, just like this female coming of age story centered around sex trafficking. And somehow it's beautiful. (laughs) All right. Again, it's so hard to pitch, but if you just read it, you'll understand why I love it so much. So moving on to YA, we're going to be talking about our favorite young adult novels this year, since Rachel and I have been reading more of that in the past few years. Uh, My favorite was The Dark Descent of Elizabeth Frankenstein by Kirsten White. I think this won the Bram Stoker Award this year for Young Adult, and I was very happy to see that it was even just recognized as a nominee. I was surprised at how much I enjoyed this book. Um, So this is a retelling of Frankenstein from the perspective of his fiance and the story, Elizabeth Frankenstein. And I love that it gives more agency to Elizabeth. I mean, we not only find out her backstory and who she is and that in this retelling, she was rescued from a abusive situation. You know, she was orphaned and kind of living with a a family and uh, she gets adopted by the Frankensteins and she kind of sees her relationship and her attachment to Victor as her only means for survival, basically, as a woman at this time. You know, as a woman, you basically, your whole job was to marry well and be secure and find, you know, security in that way. There really wasn't another pathway. I think this story just shows how she as a character was powerful, even working within the restrictions of her time and how she outsmarted and how, I don't want to say manipulated, but just really knew how to work with what she was given. I also thought it was a realistic portrayal of an abusive relationship where one party has to constantly make themselves smaller to appease the abusive counterpart. And it was it was tough to read at times, but I thought just very well done as a story and had a lot of great layers within this narrative that we all think we know so well, you know? So as I said, well-written. I loved the character study. The first part of the story, you know, we're just kind of getting to know Elizabeth and she's trying to track down Victor. And of course, Victor is, uh, this is, you know, right after he has created uh, Frankenstein's monster and he's out on the loose and it's just all of these things coming together in this story and I was very impressed by this story I think I ended up giving it four and a half stars maybe five and that is The Dark Descent of Elizabeth Frankenstein by Kirsten White 
Uh, another one that sounds really good. <laughs> well, I'll turn it around because I could really see you liking this one. So you might want to add this to your own list. And that is Frozen Charlotte by Alex Bell, which follows a teenage girl. And after the sudden death of her best friend, she is sent to spend the summer with her cousins in their old manor house. Her cousins have also suffered a tragedy with the death of their sister years ago and are just strange. And so her youngest cousin has become obsessed with these tiny dolls that they found within the house because it used to be a boarding school. And these dolls were known as Charlotte's. And this is possibly one of my favorite creepy doll stories. And it basically is one of these stories where strange things are happening in this house and you don't know if someone is causing it or if it's actually the dolls. And I love that kind of story that kind of plays between the possible and the impossible. And again, this is the kind of young adult story that you don't want to sell yourself short when you pick it up. Because in terms of creepiness, I would definitely put this at least in the fridge because it was just, yeah, creepy, honestly. And... I just found it really amazing. There is a prequel to this one and I had my library request to buy a copy of it because I just want more of these stories. But this book can definitely be read by itself as a standalone and it's just creepy good doll creepiness. Have, have I said creepy enough? Clearly not. <laughs> <laughs> and that again is Frozen Charlotte by Alex Bell. Uh, creepy dolls, man. I am just obsessed with them. It's an episode I've always wanted to do. <laughs> and I'm saving it for you. So whenever you're ready, let me oh, know. <laughs> I need to come back. <laughs> oh, that does sound good. Ken, TBR is expanding. Excellent. <laughs> My sinister plan. So moving on to, I don't know if we did this category last year. Favorite nonfiction? I don't know. It doesn't sound like remember. something I would have added. So <laughs> it might be new. <laughs> When you put it out there, I was like, oh, I don't read that. <laughs> but then I had a really good pick once I gave it a little bit more thought. I'm like, I did. So we are doing it. <laughs> no, Stephanie gets to be the boss. <laughs> I know no, all this just because I wanted to talk about Savage Appetites. I loved it so much. I mentioned it in the true crime episode that um, came out as we're recording this. Uh, but this is four stories of women who are connected to true crime in some way. So you're following an investigator, an advocate, victim, and killer. And their personal stories are so engrossing. And their relationship to crime is just so interesting. So I feel like I talked a lot about this in the true crime episode, so I don't just want to do a rehash of everything I said. Like you're following a woman who was an heiress and she donated money to the forensics lab at Harvard. And she also, as a hobby, made these crime scene doll houses that would be used as training tools. Um, and, you know, for investigators to work on their... Um, deduction skills like looking at a crime scene and like what what would and like what are the things that they notice uh and but just like all of them are so interesting <laughs> that's just the first person we follow uh and i like that the author also kind of gets into talking about like why do we as women love true crime so much she talks about how oxygen which was a channel that's you know focused on women programming that's aimed at women, you know, suddenly decided to add a lot of true crime shows to their lineup because, you know, they looked at the numbers and saw like, this is actually what women want. 
is more true crime. And so she kind of asked the question, like, why that is and what is or isn't ethical when you are talking about reporting these true crime stories. And it just gets into all of these kind of questions that I had about true crime. And I love the way that she writes about things. I think she really gets into unintended consequences of things looking down the line. And I just, I can't recommend this book enough. Like (laughs) everybody go read Savage Appetites by Rachel Monroe. Well, you sold me. I probably should admit it. But because we were preparing to record this today, I haven't listened to the true crime episode yet. So it's the first time for me. But I definitely picked up my phone and added it to Goodreads as you were talking because I don't want to forget. That sounds really good. And you haven't always been someone who's loved true crime as a genre. I definitely do enjoy it, perhaps a little more than you, at least in the past. So I'm excited to hear you so excited about one. And yeah, I will definitely follow that up. My pick actually works really well with yours. And I hope you didn't talk about it on that episode, but that is, oh good. (laughs) My pick actually works really well with yours. And that is Chase the Darkness with me by Billy Jensen. And this is about a true crime writer who specifically chooses to write about unsolved cases with the hope of eventually solving them. And I like that because a lot of true crime books are specifically about cases that are solved because people are used to reading fictional mysteries. So they're used to getting a conclusion at the end and saying, here's who did it. But he goes out of his way to find cases that are still in progress or have become cold. And he is hoping that by generating interest in these cases, someone might come forward and actually be able to identify something or provide information that will lead to an arrest and I love that I think this is the kind of book that is just perfect for today's true crime obsessed culture a lot of things you talked about I'm sure in that episode because I think a lot of us after listening to the podcast serial and going down the rabbit hole of all the podcasts that followed and just are fascinated by things like I'll be gone in the dark are kind of looking for the chance to maybe help solve a case as well. And so this book definitely has that appeal. I should mention that Billy Jensen actually co-wrote I'll Be Gone in the Dark. So it's a great follow-up to that one. I would recommend reading that one first just because he makes a lot of references to it. It's not rehashing it, but he does talk about the Golden State Killer a little bit in this one. In a lot of ways, this reads like a collection of short stories where each chapter kind of follows a different case. Some of them did eventually get solved, and he talks in each chapter about what he did to put pictures and information forward on Facebook and different websites and how to actually create interest online. Like He basically created ads on Facebook and different websites and would just get people really excited about a case that they hadn't heard of. And all of a sudden, people would be sending him messages and clues. And it was just fascinating to read. And the book ends with this whole section that's basically a call to action for the reader and says, if you love true crime and want to help law enforcement in solving cases, here's practical steps of things you can do. And I was so motivated afterwards. Honestly, I really wanted to like go out and start doing some of this. Some of the things include helping police to digitize old record files so that these cold cases can be cross-referenced when they're bringing in new perpetrators. And I can totally see myself in my nursing home or whenever I retire, having that be like my retirement job. So this book left me like crazy inspired. So in terms of nonfiction, this one was easily my standout because it left me like so enthused about 
true crime and not not excited about true crime let me be clear but the process of solving these crimes and bringing people to justice i should clarify that before people get too horrified listening to me gush about criminals and mistakenly misunderstanding my meaning and that again is chase the darkness with me by billy jensen i can totally picture you as like in a nursing home Doing it sounds that. so good. They're like, you know, it sounds like it's supposed to be like boring work, but I would just like sit there and have like books in the freezer going in the background and like be typing up these like case files and oh, I'm, I'm so there for that. It's going to happen. It's, isn't that something you can just like volunteer to do? Yeah, apparently. Okay. I'm just waiting till I'm old to do it for some reason. You have all the time in the world. That sounds really interesting. I did recognize his name from the... Uh, from I'll Be Gone in the Dark. And I, I'm pretty sure I've heard a few like podcast interviews with him. And yeah, he sounds fascinating. Yeah, he's just a really interesting person just to follow on social media in general because he continues to do that same work. So he'll talk about cases that he's investigating. And like I said, it's like, who knows? There might be one in your area that you're like, oh, I recognize that car. That's my neighbor. <laughs> or hopefully not. I'm like, hopefully not your neighbor. <laughs> so getting to... The big one, favorite novel. So I did two picks because I couldn't pick one. I could not narrow it down. Cheating again. That's okay. I I did the same thing. (laughs) (laughs) It's too hard. (laughs) So the first book I want to talk about, I don't remember if I talked about this during the fireside chat because I definitely read it the first part of the year. You did mention it, I remember. Okay. <laughs> okay, great. Well, rehash of that. This is The Devil All the Time by Donald Ray Pollock. And this takes place in rural southern Ohio and West Virginia, and it takes place from the end of World War II to the 1960s. And I, when I mentioned it in a booktube video I did, I was like, I wonder why it's called Southern Gothic. It definitely has that feel to it. But if we're being technical, like Ohio is not the South. Um but then people were talking like, oh, like it's more like, is it rural? And so I definitely see that. And it definitely has the specific like Southern Gothic feel with a lot of um, religious themes and themes of, you know, deterioration, like physically and within characters and morality. So I definitely see that. Um, this story follows a handful of characters who intersect through each other's lives, which I like. I love stories like that. So it, it kind of has the like short story novel feel to it. So like just a few of the characters were following like Willard Russell, who can't save his wife from cancer no matter how much sacrificial blood he pours on the quote prayer log we have like a natural born killers-esque homicidal couple that's hunting hitchhikers there's a preacher who handles spiders and is on the run from the law and arvin who is willard's son and grows up to himself be acquainted with violence And all of these stories just come together and, like I said, intersect within each other's lives. And what I'm excited for is this is going to be either a movie or a miniseries. I really want to say miniseries because I think there's just too much for it to be a movie. Um, But it's coming to Netflix, I think, December of 2020. It has like Tom Holland and Robert Pattinson. And I was looking at the casting and I just cannot wait for this to be put to screen. I think it will be such a dark and just good story (laughs) so that was the devil all the time by donald ray pollock my next book was one i read recently so i know i didn't mention it in that episode and that is geek love by katherine dunn 
And uh, this was a book that has been on my TBR for years. And people have been telling me, I know, Laura, for years to read it. And I finally read it. And it's one of those things, you know, when books are on your TBR forever and you're like pretty sure you'll like them. But it's like, what if you don't? Yes. What if it's been living on your TBR for years and it just like is not as good as everyone says it is? I was so worried about that <laughs> reading this, but luckily it was not the case. This was so good. It was like everything I wanted in a story. So this is about the Binuski family and their their children are basically bred to be human oddities. Like the mother and father run a circus and the mother ingests a lot of drugs during her pregnancy in order to have deformed children. And they just have this twisted logic that this is actually going to give them a better life because they have a way to make a living by just being themselves. Like, it's there's a lot of that just like twisted logic as you are kind of within this family and the inner workings of this, you know, performance lifestyle and everything that comes with it. And um, so like the, the oldest one is named Artie and he has no arms or legs and he performs under the name Aqua Boy. There, they have a pair of Siamese twins, Iffy and Ellie, who play the piano. Ollie is our narrator. She's an albino hunchback, and she doesn't have a show or perform, but she kind of like um, works the crowd and like advertises and gets people like excited. And the youngest chick, who seems fairly normal on the outside. And in this, we have a dual timeline. So we're following Ollie as an adult in present day, and we see her life. And then there's flashbacks to what it was like when they were, you know, putting on this show and traveling and everything that came with that. What I loved about this is there was so much humanity. I feel like when I say that plot, it's going to feel like it's going to be this very exploitative, like, ooh, look at these people and how weird they are. And it's really not like that when you read the story. You really get into each of these characters and what makes them them. And it really just asks the question, like, you know, like, what is being a freak? What is normality? And uh, it's very emotional and heartbreaking. And it actually might go on my favorites of all time list. Like, that's how much I loved it. Wow, that is high praise. (laughs) Oh, like I do. I just loved it so much. Just everything about it really resonated with me. And I loved just everything. And that is Geek Love by Catherine Dunn. Though I will say, I don't know if I ever want to see this adapted because I don't know that I can trust a director to like really get the heart of the story without focusing too much on like, ooh, like the weird, you know? Yeah, I'm actually glad you clarified that in your review because it's one I've kind of steered away from because like you said, like it almost is like got this like ick factor to it. And I was like, I don't know if I want to read like just based off the setup for that. It just sounds like the nastiest story. So it's crazy to hear you describe it as like emotional and like, yeah, you're you're making me reframe what I thought that book was about. So I'm intrigued. I'm not sure it's for me, but it just it sounds ridiculously (laughs) weird. So dysfunctional families and like a lot of character stuff. I'm there. So for my picks, I want to start with one that people are probably quite familiar with, uh, especially if you are a horror reader. So no surprise here. I loved Pet Cemetery by Stephen King. 
This, of course, is about a family that moved to a house that is near a graveyard where people go to bury their pets. And I think a lot of people will go further in the synopsis. I kind of go back and forth how much to say. If for some reason you have managed not to know more about this book, then I kind of just encourage you to go pick it up. I've said before that I'm a bit hit or miss with Stephen King, but this one is a hit. If you told me a year ago that I would be putting a Stephen King on my best of 2019, I honestly wouldn't have believed you, but I love this one. So just focusing on what I liked about it, since again, I think so many people already know the general synopsis for the book, is that it just really hit home in terms of providing this emotional story about family and grief and loss. And wow, it just was beautiful. I listened to it as an audiobook, which of course is narrated by Michael C. Hall, who is Dexter. And the performance alone just made this book really come home for me. And I just can really see why people love Stephen King so much. By far my top, top Stephen King book. I've read other books by him this year, which I've really enjoyed, but nothing has basically topped this one. And I was messaging Stephanie as they were preparing their best of the Stephen King episodes. And I assumed Pet Cemetery was gonna be on top. I forgot about The Shining, I forgot about it, like in my mind, there is nothing above Pet Cemetery, so silly me, I was shocked that it wasn't number one. It still was pretty high up there, but personally, this one got my vote for that episode, and I'm just obsessed with it. It's definitely one I'm going to revisit, and I've got to say that it has a really good ending. Often, horror books don't always land very well when it comes to wrapping everything up, but this ending was creepy and just left me with that like pit in my stomach that I definitely am looking for when I'm reading a horror book, so absolutely recommend it. If there is anyone left online that has not watched or if there's anyone left that has not yet read this book I highly recommend it. it is so good and that of course if you didn't know is Pet Cemetery by Stephen King oh man I loved Pet Cemetery. like I was again surprised at how much I enjoyed that one and yes to the ending being really good oh it's just so brilliant and my second pick is hopefully a little bit more under the radar. It's definitely one I haven't talked about on the podcast before. And some people might even disagree whether or not it's truly horror only because it blends different genres together. So that book is called Under the Skin by Michelle Faber. So this is about a woman who drives around in the Scottish countryside, picking up hitchhikers and taking them away for mysterious, sinister purposes. And I'm going to leave the synopsis there because it's a book where you don't want to know too much going in which actually makes this book really hard to describe and recommend to help people find out if they are the right audience for this book. But this book kind of falls on the line of speculative fiction because it definitely has aspects of horror. There are elements of body horror. It's very visceral. It's very dark, but it does bring in other elements. So you just need to be prepared for that. If you're expecting a very classic horror story like Pet Cemetery, this one's a little bit different. And I think that's what I liked so much about it. When I was reading this one, all I could think is how weird it was. And it was just different. And at the same time, while it has this really creepiness to the story, it also deals with a lot of like really deep themes. And it makes you think about these moral issues that I've never thought of before and really made me question my own moral beliefs on issues that I have never wavered on. And a book that can do that 
just really catches my attention. So this is probably my like top, top favorite book of the year, regardless of what genre you put it into. This book just always comes up on top. I've thought about it constantly since I finished reading it. And Michelle Faber is such a good writer. His writing is visceral and short and almost reminds me a little bit of what I love so much about Ian Reed's writing. So if you like those type of stories, those stories that don't necessarily fit nicely into a horror box, but are definitely creepy, definitely weird, then I highly, highly recommend this one. I know I'm not giving you a lot of information, but if you have my reading taste, trust me, just go check it out. That is again called Under the Skin by Michelle Faber. Ooh, that sounds interesting. Oh, it's so hard to recommend without giving away everything, but I love well, it. You Can got you me at the like Ian Reed read alike. Yeah, I know how to hook you in. <laughs> yeah. So of course, our readers had a lot to say when it came to what their favorite novel of 2019 was. So here's a few of the things they said. Uh, Pretty Girls by Karen Slaughter, The Wanderers by Chuck Wendig, A Place for Sinners by Aaron Dries, Kill Creek by Scott Thomas, I'm Thinking of Ending Things by Ian Reed, Dark Places by Gillian Flynn, The Haunting of Hill House by Shirley Jackson, House of Leaves by Mark Z. Danieluski, Brother by Anya Alborn, and A Head Full of Ghosts by Paul Tremblay. So quite a good list of books there. Yeah, that is a very nice looking list of books. I haven't read all of them, but <laughs> I've read a good chunk and they're good. So you want to do some chilling obsessions? Yes. I need to talk about some creepy things that aren't books. And my pick actually ties into one of my favorite 2019 releases because I talked about that book, 12 Nights at Rotter House. And that same author, as I mentioned, while he is now a novelist, he is first and foremost known as a travel writer who focuses on writing about creepy places. And he has a podcast and also a blog. I'm specifically recommending the podcast just because I've listened to more of it than I've read his online blog. But that is called Odd Things I've Seen. And he basically goes around and looks and finds places that have what he calls oddities. So they're not necessarily always horror. Sometimes they are, but just things that are creepy or weird or different and just tells you what is happening, where to find these things, where to go. And it's like a spooky version of one of those like travel books you can get. So in October, he did a special episode where he recommended what to do if you ever visit Salem, Massachusetts. And you can tell I'm not American when I say that. As well, he did an episode recommending where to stay and what to do if you go to Sleepy Hollow, New York. And I suddenly want to go so badly to Salem. I want to go to Sleepy Hollow. My husband was just mentioning the fact that it's been a really long time since we've done a holiday. So in my mind, I'm like planning that we're going to one of these places. I don't think <laughs> he knows that yet, but I just thought it was really fascinating. Not all the episodes are about like specifically travel. Sometimes the episodes are about him going to a haunted house or he goes to visit the area around uh, Area 51, where, of course, the aliens are supposedly located. And he did like one episode about people who believe in a hollow earth. So you probably heard about people that believe that the earth is flat. This is about people who believe that the earth is hollow so that it's not full of like dirt and rocks and all of that. And just like 
talks about weird stuff. So again, I would say this podcast for the most part is very room temperature. It's not meant to be horrifying, but I think anyone who kind of likes horror and horror adjacent topics will really like this because he just delves into the weird, crazy things that exist in primarily America, but he goes all over the world and just fascinating. Unfortunately, right at the beginning of the podcast, he introduced himself as J.W. Oker, which made me feel bad because I realized that I've been talking about him online on my YouTube channel, constantly calling him Oker. So I felt so bad. I was like, oh, why did I not look online before? So my apologies if the author is actually listening to this. Uh, I should have done a little bit of research so I could have said his name properly. But that podcast, again, is called Odd Things I've Seen, which is written and produced by the novelist J.W. Oker. There we go. Now I've got it right. That sounds really cool. I think you would really like it. I had to check with you beforehand to make sure that you hadn't recommended it on an episode I hadn't listened to yet. But then I was like, but don't pick it for this episode. It's mine. I got really possessive because I honestly could see you getting really into this one and I didn't have another pick selected. So I was like, I need this pick. Get some, find something else to talk about. Go away. Shoot. I'm like, you're good. You're good. It's okay. You can have it. It's fine. <laughs> My pick is a movie. And it is Lake Mungo. And I've been wanting to watch this because um, I think, do you remember when we interviewed Paul Tremblay? He said like he loves this movie and he has like two copies of it and like one copies to give away and like let people borrow and one copy is just for his house. Oh, yeah. Is this the movie? Yeah. (laughs) It was finally on Amazon Prime. So I was finally able to like stream it. And so this is an Australian movie. It's done in a documentary style. The plot follows a family whose daughter, Alice Palmer, she was a 16-year-old girl who drowned in a local dam. And so we are following the family as they are, one, grieving the loss of their daughter, but two, also experiencing some strange phenomena in the house. And they think that her spirit is there and that the house is haunted. And so they bring in a psychic and a parapsychologist to investigate and they start looking into Alice's life and realize that she had a lot of secrets and they uncover some things from her final days. And what I loved about this is that it definitely feels like a documentary. Like if you put this on and someone came in, like they would 100% think you were watching just a documentary about this uh, family and the spooky stuff happening in their house. But what I really liked about it was that it was very emotional. You were dealing with all of these like complicated characters, dealing with all of these big feelings. And I can see why Paul Tremblay liked it so much because I think all of his books are about like families going through like big things. And especially I would say in a the disappearance at Devil's Rock. I saw a lot of those of those like big emotions in here. Oh, that sounds oh. so good. Definitely sounds yeah. Paul Tremblay brand yeah. for sure. <laughs> and yeah, I just really liked it. I that's I mean <laughs> I was gonna say, why am I not surprised that you love the movie that is probably one of your favorite authors' favorite movies? I think it yeah. makes a lot of sense. <laughs> And just like the way it was pitched to me, I'm like, oh, yeah, I need to hunt this down and watch it. Just like a very emotional, like sad horror movie. I'm like, yeah, it seems like my style. Um, So that is Lake Mungo. When I watched it, it was on Amazon Prime. I don't know when you're listening to this, if it will be, because that's how streaming works. But if you can find it, recommend it. I like your (laughs) non-committal where to find it streaming. (laughs) 
it's practical well, it's like it's true people listen to this like way later if you're listening to this in like 2021 i don't know if it's still on amazon prime if it's not you guys should all hunt stephanie down and blame her for that <laughs> That's been our favorites. Thank you so much for having me. This was so much fun. I love gushing about horror books, especially my favorites. This book was, this episode was just so much fun to put together. And just talking books with you just brings me way back to the beginning. And it was a lot of fun. (laughs) Yeah, thank you so much for making the time and coming on. I really appreciate it. And yeah, nothing better than talking favorites with you. Oh, sounds good. Well, here's to 2020. I think it's going to be a great year for the podcast. I cannot wait to see what you have planned. Books in the Freezer is a bi-weekly podcast. We post episodes every other Tuesday. You can find us on Twitter at Books Freezer Pod or on Instagram at Books in the Freezer. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash books in the freezer. You can send us an email at books in the freezer at gmail.com. Show notes for this episode and all previous episodes are at books in the freezer.com. If you would like to support us on Patreon, we are on Patreon as Books in the Freezer. We have a $1, a $3, and a $5 level with a lot of different benefits for each if you want to go check that out. We definitely don't suggest stretching yourself thin. Like There are so many other ways to support the show. You can shout us out. You can leave us a review. You can just tell people about it. All of those things help us out. And Books in the Freezer is always going to be a free show. I'm Stephanie. You can find me on Twitter at Lady underscore Ganya or on Instagram at That's What She Read. And that is That's with two A's because That's What She Read was taken. (laughs) I am on YouTube as That's What She Read just normally because I got that one first. Where can people find you, Rachel? I'll continue to live on Twitter shouting about the podcast (laughs) at Shades underscore Orange. I'm also on Instagram at The Shades of Orange. And I'm first and foremost on my YouTube channel which is also the Shades of Orange. Thanks again for having me. Thank you so much. And join us next time for Books in the Freezer. (laughs) 